The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. As a church, we've been walking through 1 Timothy for a, um, since the beginning of the year, and uh, we are cracking in now to chapter 2, and uh, we've, got, we've got a fun one together today. And uh, just a warning for us, this one is a really easy and a really difficult text at the same time. And what I mean by this, it's really, really easy in that it's really straightforward, what we're about to read is so straightforward. It's so clear. It's not, you know what Paul's getting at with this, with this text. Um, and at the same time, it's really difficult. Let me tell you, this is one of the most countercultural texts that we will deal with in 1 Timothy. And that says a lot, if you know where we're going to be headed in the next couple weeks. Um, and so as we look at this, this text might be really, diff or really easy for us to understand but it's certainly going to be very difficult as we seek to apply it. So that's what we're going to do here together today. And so I want to invite you um, with your Bibles. What I'll do, I'll read our text. We'll pray, and then we'll get, we'll get right to work, okay? Let, let me read this for us. We're going to be in the first four verses of chapter 2. It says this. First of all, then, I urge you. That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That's our text this morning. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we, um, we need you. We need you. In fact, that statement, we need you, is such an understatement. We really need you. Daily, we need you. This morning, we need you. In this text, we need you. This is a timely and important text, and I pray that you give us the ability not only to understand it, but God, that you would give us the ability to practice it, to apply it, to obey it. We've said this so many times that we would be a people who both read your word and who allow the word, your word, to read us. So God, we need you this morning. We pray that you would meet us where we are. Um, I believe and I know that no one here is here by accident or chance. You have a plan. And so God, would you use this morning for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. First of all, then, that's how our text starts, that I just had to. Um, first of all, then, I want to start right at the beginning. He starts with this, this first of all, and, and I, I want to be clear about something. Usually when you see first, you expect a second and you expect a third. That's not what Paul's doing here, okay? When Paul says first of all here, he is um, not introducing us to a list. He's introducing us to a top priority, 
So think of this as him saying, okay, first importance now, first priority now. Um, so in other words, all that he's writing, Paul is saying, no, 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 first of all, come to this, first of all. Um, he's showing us that what he is about to say is of the utmost importance, so first of all. And then there's another word, then, okay? We're going to go little by little through this, then. Uh, your, your translation actually might have the word therefore. And there's this uh, fun saying that, you know, Bible nerds use all the time that when you see a therefore, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. It, there's a reason we say that, all right? Because it points to something. And if you said that, I love you. I've said it too. Um, um, it points to something that's come before. So first of all, then, he says, Paul has been calling Timothy, if you remember or if you're new with us, Paul has been calling Timothy to protect the church. Specifically, that Timothy would protect the church from attacks from within. He says he's been calling him to protect the gospel from those within who would seek to distort it or misapply it. And so he says, therefore, after this call, therefore, he's linking to, to what he has said. And he says, in order to protect the church well, to build the church well, in order for you to be about the work that I've been laying out, therefore, first of all, of first importance. So Paul is setting this up of what we need to do in order to fight this battle and to protect the church. And he says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So there is the call, and it is such an easy one. Like the call from our text is so simple. It's calling us to pray, that we would be a people of prayer, that we would pray for all people. He lists four types you got supplication, you got prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. Um, and as we look at them, just real briefly, we'll look at each one of this. So supplication is not a word you probably use every day. Um, supplication is just a word that means a request, an urgent request. It's a request that we make for God to meet a need that we have. And by the way, that is an incredible privilege that you have. That God has called you to come to him with your needs, with your requests, and that he hears you and that he cares. Um, I want you to just wrap your mind around that. But here's the thing. That's not what this text is pointing us to. Because not only do we have the incredible privilege to come to our God with our own needs and our own requests to bring our needs before our God, church, we also have this incredible opportunity and incredible privilege to bring the needs of our brothers and sisters in our church before our God, Amen. our community before our God, knowing that our God cares and, and he hears. And so we bring, I think one of my favorite places that this word supplication is used, you don't need to turn with me here, um, but it's in, it's in James 5, where it says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. You may be healed. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That word prayer or pray in James is the same word that we have here translated as supplication. It's a prayer for others, for each other. So that's supplication. Second words, that's an easy one, isn't it? Prayers. How general is that? 
I gotta tell you, it's just as general in the text as it is that you would, as you would think it is. It's just an all-inclusive, broad term covering all kinds of prayers in the New Testament. It's the most generic term for prayer in the New Testament. That's why it is translated that way. Then the third term, intercession, intercessions. This is a powerful word, powerful idea. Um, and there's two things that, that come to mind when you think of this word intercession. Uh, number one, it's a word that highlights the insufficiency of those who are in need. It's a way of saying, God, we need you. I need you. It highlights our insufficiency. And at the very same time, it's also a word that expresses confidence. And so if you look at this, it's, it's, in other words, intercession is, is saying, God, we need you. God, I need you. God, my brother and my sister, my community, we need you. And, and at the same time, it's saying, God, so we stand in the gap. And we come to you in confidence that you will hear us when we cry to you. And we will pray to you. And we are confident that you will respond. This is a powerful word. It, uh, again, you don't have to turn with me here. I'm gonna, if you did, you'd be flipping everywhere. If you want that challenge, feel free, you can do that. Um, but in Hebrews, it's my favorite place that uses this word. And it uses it of Jesus himself in Hebrews 7. Consequently, it says, he, that's Jesus in Hebrews 7.25. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, love that. And then listen, it says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, Jesus is saying, Father, they need you, so I stand in the gap for them. And I intercede, I mediate for them. This is beautiful. That's what Christ does for you before the Father. And church, that's what you are called to do for one another. That's intercession. Saying, God, they need you. God, here I am, I stand in the gap for them, praying that you would respond in your grace. So you have supplication, prayer, intercession, and then lastly, thanksgivings. Um, this one feels like an oddball. Maybe it's just me, I wouldn't, it feels a little odd. Um, I mean, the others deal with requests and with um, needs. And here we have thanksgiving. What this does, church, is it points to our motivation as we come to the Lord. It's an expression of gratitude. And it's interesting, Paul uses the same words in Philippians 4, one of the most popular texts when it deals with prayer in 4.6, don't be anxious um, about anything, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication. We've seen those words. And then what does it say? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So there is gratitude in the fact that we are able to come to God with our needs. That's why this thanksgiving here is wrapped up in this idea of prayer as we come to God knowing he's in control. So those are our four, four words. Simple. And I gotta tell you, um, I don't wanna spend much more time with this because I, I am convinced as I studied this that Paul's reason for giving us these four words is not so that we can kind of parse out and make really clean distinctions between what is intercession what is supplication, what's prayer, what's thanksgiving. I don't think he means for them to be different categories. I think what Paul is doing here, as I've looked at this, is giving us a broad scope of what it means to be in prayer. 
It's, a, it's an all-encompassing prayer that, that he lays out here, and, and he's doing this so that we can see the full picture of it, comprehensive, and that we can see its importance and its place. And that's why he says, first of all, a first importance, prayer. Pray for each other. And this shows um, the, the place of prayer that we should have in the church. Um, I think too often, <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. Um, I think too often, prayer can become the thing we do before the main event or after the main event. So it's what we do to kind of get ready for the good stuff or what we do when the good stuff's over and we want to go home. This is true as we gather as a church. It can be true around our dinner tables. We're like, we're hungry. Who is going to say the prayer? Because I'm really hungry, right? It's, it's let's pray so we can get to the good stuff. Like maybe um, we're about to start the service. Well, we gotta open it in prayer so then we can start. Or preacher's coming up. We better pray so then we can get to the, okay. It becomes this thing that we do to start something important or end something important. And what that communicates, it communicates something detrimental to us as the people of God when prayer becomes that. I don't think there is any coincidence um, that a prayer service or a prayer gathering will be the most poorly attended event on the church calendar. There's no coincidence. Because it becomes really odd when what are we doing when we come? Praying? I mean, that's what we do before something. What else are we doing? When prayer becomes the main event, it feels odd or it can feel odd to our shame. Um, and I say this, it, as a, it is to our shame. Um, and what Paul is saying here in this letter is, as we take this in, is that there is an attack that's gonna come into the church and, and all of these things that we do is important to fight that, but first of all, of first importance, pray, pray, prayer. That we would come together prayer. If we do nothing else, we would come together. We say this a lot, but prayer is not the preparation for the battle. Church prayer is the battle. I love this quote. Um, I'm going to try to say his name. John Anwachekwa. You don't, you don't know if I said it right, but it sounded confident enough that, that it, I could pull it off. I love the way he, uh, he says this in his, in his book. He said, we should pray so much in our church gatherings that the non-believers get bored. <laughs> How cool is that? That's so cool. Um, and then he builds on this, um, just in case it wasn't clear enough. He says, we talk too much to a God they don't believe in. How countercultural is that? That we would be a people marked by prayer. That we would be a people who pray of first importance. And I want to absolutely shameless plug something to you right now. Um, as a church, we, we gather together every month on the first Tuesday of every month. And uh, we come together uh, to pray. And I promise, I promise you it's not awkward. Um, maybe it is. But no one's gonna get put on the spot here. I promise you. We come together and prayer is the main event. We do other things, like we talk, and most of the time there's, you know, great conversation and some sweets and 
I always make coffee. Um, but that's not why we're here. We're here for the prayer. Prayer is the main event. And so our next gathering is on Tuesday, March 7th. And on, on Tuesday, March 7th, my wife and I are planning on hosting it in our house, but here's what I would love to see happen. I would love to see us have to find a different location because there's too many people to fit in our living room. That would be fantastic. If you're not doing anything on Tuesday next, I don't know my dates, on March 7th, whenever that Tuesday is, um, please make it a point. Join us. Join us. Um, if you're new here, if you're not so new here, if you're young, if you're not so young, it doesn't matter what your background is. Prayer is vital for the people of God. Absolutely vital. Um, and God in his grace and sovereignty and in his great mystery has invited us to come in and to come to him in prayer. And I don't think you and I, we will never fully understand that. Like that is one of the greatest mysteries of all creation. Um, but it's a mystery we'll never solve and a mystery we just get to enjoy. Um, when boiled down to its simple, simplest form, prayer is communion with God. It's what it is. And so we who are in Christ are to be a people of prayer, not placing all of our trust in what we can do, our own abilities, our own strengths, our own money, our own abilities, our own networking skills, whatever we trust ourselves in, our savings accounts, not placing our trust there, but that we would be a people who trust in the Lord, as we sang about already this morning, that we would remember Acts 17, 28, that says, in him we live and move and we have our being. Because that's true, how could we not be a people who pray? A people of prayer. Um, and we're to care for our church, our brothers and sisters, our community, by first of all, praying. And in our verse, in our verse, we're going to see two audiences. And I want to dig in on this a little bit. We're going to see two audiences that Paul points us to in, in prayer. First, um, we have the general. He says, um, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for, what is that? All people. That's about as general as he can get. All people. And I want to highlight something. Okay, I mentioned this is going to be a hard text, and you're probably hearing this going, this is pretty basic, Pastor. I mean, this is prayer. How is this hard? Listen, um, we're, we're here now. This is where it kind of <laughs> gets, gets hard. Um, this is where it gets difficult. Because all people, church, all people includes the people you like, the people who you agree with, the people who like you and agree with you, the people you're a fan of, it includes those people. And all people also includes people you do not like, who do not agree with you and who you do not agree with them, who you are not fans of. In fact, Jesus will push this. This includes people who attack you and who are your very enemies. Brother, sister, one of the ways that we follow Jesus one of the primary ways that you are gonna stick out like a sore thumb in this world is that we, unlike the world around us, love and pray for our enemies. Jesus says this in several places. Um, one of my favorites is in Luke 6 where, where he says in, in verse 32, if you love those who love you, 
What benefit is that to you? Because even sinners do that. And he says in the next verse, if you do good to those who do good to you, he says, what good is that for you? For even sinners, they do that. If you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. In other words, if you love and if you do good and if you serve those who love you and who will serve you back, congrats. You're just like the world. You're just like the world. But then Jesus says in verse 35, but here's his command. Love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is, I love how it connects it to to God, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus calls his followers to walk a different path, a countercultural path, a path of love. And so Paul, when faced with serious attacks in the church, encouraged them, first of all, first importance, he says, I urge that supplications, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. That's the general audience. Let's get specific. Verse two, for kings and all who are in high positions. So the general was to pray for all people, even those who are difficult to pray for, And the specific is to pray for those in positions of authority. Okay, we've talked about this a long time ago, it feels like. Um, But let me just talk about a little bit of context here. Um, There is significance in what Paul just said. Because if you remember, this letter was most likely written during the time of Emperor Nero. If you like history, you know about him. He was a deranged man-child who was just a horrible human being. And he was in absolute power, he was absolutely insane, and he absolutely wanted to wipe Christians off the face of the globe. That was Nero. That's who was reigning here. And under Nero, the church faced some of the most intense persecution ever, period, in all of history. It was awful. In fact, Paul would be in prison and killed under this man. This is Nero. And Paul says here to Timothy, I urge you to pray, intercede, bring your supplications and thanksgiving for all people, including specifically those who are in high positions of authority. I don't want you to miss this. Did Paul agree with Nero? Big ol' no. Did Paul agree with the morals? of the Roman Empire? Eh, No. Did Paul agree with the government that was ruling over him at this time? No. No. Most certainly not. I know it didn't work like this back in the Roman Empire. Paul would not have voted for Nero. (laughs) To say it the least, would not have voted. But did that stop Paul from praying? Did that stop Paul from calling the church to intercede on behalf of of authorities that he did not agree with? Did Paul's disagreement with those who are in high positions lead Paul 
to hatred toward those who are in high positions? No. Okay, this is where it might start to get a little difficult. And I want to paint a little bit of a picture here. Um, I think within our hearts, within our church, there's, there's a, probably a tendency toward one side, one pendulum swing, if you will. Um, on this side, I think when we're faced with an authority that we don't agree with, doesn't line up with us. I think over here, we're faced with, on this side with, with us saying, you know what, I see what's going on, I disagree with the leaders, I am not satisfied with the direction we're going. So I am done. I'm heading for the hills. I'm gonna remove my children from as much as I can possibly remove them from. I'm going to remove myself from the public square. I'm gonna run for the hills. Um, I'm gonna retreat. Forget it all. It's all going down. It's all gonna burn anyway. Let's head for the hills. I don't agree with it. I'm out. So on this side, it's kind of a retreatism. We retreat. Um, and if you, if you boil this down, um, it comes from an insane amount of fear. It's fear. Um, we run because we don't agree with it and we're, we're afraid. So we have retreatism over here. Then we have the other side, though. And let's swing that sucker over here. Um, on this side, we say the same thing. We look at the world around us and we say, I hate what I'm seeing. I disagree with the leaders. I'm not satisfied with the direction that we're going. But I'm not going to run. I'm ready to fight. I'm going to light it up. I'm not heading for the hill. I'm storming it. Right? Um, I'm not retreating. I'm at war. So we become these political spokespeople, and, and we, we can, and we think that our activism is going to save the planet. We're going to make this a Christian nation, whether it likes it or not. I might be stepping on toes. I promise you I love you. Um, we're coming back, okay? Um, on this side, we have retreatism, um, where we get so focused on the fact that this world's not my home. And, and, and there's that saying that we're so heavenly-minded that we're, we're no earthly good. That's garbage. It's not scriptural. We should be so heavenly-minded that we are earthly good. Yeah. And so it, it just that doesn't make sense. But that's the mantra that we have. And so we retreat. We run. We run for the hills. That's on this side. But on the other side, here's what happens. We get so focused on the issues of our day. We get so focused on the policies, the politics, the red, the blue, that we lose ourselves. And what happens is, at the core, we've placed our trust in the wrong thing. We have placed our trust. Our hope is in a political system, and that's never meant to be your hope. Um, we forget in other words, our primary identity. You, we are in Christ before any political party. We are in Christ before, I love America, before we are Americans. We are in Christ first and foremost, and our hope is not in a political leader. Our hope is in Christ. Amen? Our hope is in Christ. I hope I didn't upset you, but we'll get through it. Um, we need to understand this because neither one of these things is helpful. They're not biblical. In church, there is a much better way, much better way. 
Um, and I believe it's the way that God's word gives us in both the New and the Old Testament. In fact, um, if you did want to turn here, you can. But if not, I'm going to put it on the screen because this is really an incredible text. Uh, Jeremiah 29. Um, I believe there is a different way. There's another way, and I'm going to call it the Jeremiah 29 way. So think about this. In this Jeremiah 29 scene here, we have the people of God who just went through the unthinkable and they were exiled. Hey, that's not supposed to happen. They're the people of God and now they're exiled. And they're going to this wicked land of Babylon. They're strangers in a foreign land. They were alienated. They didn't like the government. They wouldn't have voted for its leaders. They didn't like the morals. They didn't like the ethics. They were a pagan nation. And here in this moment, the exiles are faced with all of that. Okay? What would you expect to hear in that? Do you think that God would look at them and say, you're exiles in a nasty land, so run for those hills? Or do you think that God said, you're going into a nasty land, so get ready to bring the heat. We're gonna bring them down. Do you think it, no, there's a third way that I think is way more controversial in some ways, way harder. And it says this, I'm gonna start in verse four, I love this text. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I, in other words, God's not caught off guard, have sent into exile from Jerusalem to that nasty, wicked, these are my words, Babylon. And ready? Here's what God says to them in this scene. Here we go. How controversial is this? Build some houses. Live in them. Then I want you to plant some gardens, and I want you to eat from them. I want you to take some wives and have sons, have daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. What? Hey, the people of God are just supposed to pop in here and, and be in this wicked land, and they're supposed to just build houses and have gardens and make families doesn't sound right why would the, is this not god is this not conceding to them a little bit verse 7 but seek the welfare that's the word shalom love that word seek the shalom seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile seek the shalom peace wholeness goodness seek all of that in Babylon. And then this might sound real familiar. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it's in its welfare where you're gonna find yours. Okay, this sounds really familiar because this is exactly Paul's command to us today and his command to Timothy. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Paul and Timothy faced Nero himself. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I'll put it right back in Paul's words. I urge you, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, make them for all people, including specifically the kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. 
It's just like Jeremiah. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. You're going to find shalom. This is the way forward for us as a church. In a community that does, okay, you're not going to agree with everything out there. That's okay. God's still God. You're going to have leaders you don't line up with and you didn't vote for. So what do we do? We seek shalom. We're a blessing. We plant gardens and build houses and marry and have kids and we bring shalom. And most of all, first of all, as Paul says, we pray. We intercede for them. We intercede in thanksgiving for one another, even those leaders that we very much disagree with. How countercultural? Let me ask this again is this. Because we live in a culture that prides itself on tearing each other apart. Us versus them, we can find a way to divide on anything. If someone walked in and I gave them a sandwich, one, we would have people who would post why that is wrong. It's just what happens in a, in, a, in a fallen world. And that's our world. That's our culture. We pride ourselves on virtue signaling, division, and position, peacocking, whatever you want to call it. We pride ourselves on this. And so Paul says, first of all, then, no, pray. Pray, don't just post. Pray, don't run for the hills. Pray, don't retreat. Pray, don't just lob morality grenades over the walls. Pray, don't just lob theology grenades over the walls. Pray, seek the welfare of your community. Pray for God's blessing on them. And when you do, I don't want you to hear me wrong, you're not condoning them. You're not. Um, You're not condoning their behavior, their positions, any more than the people of God did in Babylon or any more than the apostle Paul and Timothy did for Nero. You're not affirming them. You're praying for them. And I love America. I love it. Um, we have so much to be thankful for, but hear me. If you live here long enough, you, are, <laughs> without a doubt, are going to go through a time where your candidate loses. Right? Um, you're not always going to be the, you know, the spokesman, the champion for those who are in authority over you, and that's okay. Why is that okay? Because our hope is not in any national election. Our hope is in Christ, period, alone. And so our call is to pray. Do we pray as much as we complain? Do you pray more than you post? Because church, we should. We should pray for them. We should intercede for them. First and foremost, we should pray that they would come to know Jesus. That they would see and trust and follow Christ, that they would be forgiven, they would be saved, that they would know Jesus. We should pray for them to have wisdom, that they would lead well, that they would make wise decisions. We should pray for them to have courage. It's not easy to lead. We should pray for their boldness and their courage to do what is right. We should pray that they would be able to provide care and to lead us well into the future. We should pray for this. We should pray that they would be blessed and that they would help bring about human flourishing in our communities. We should pray for this. I want to challenge you. You should pray for them by name. 
Some of you right now, you might know like Biden. He's the top one. But then you might get foggy at everything underneath. I recommend, let's flip this upside down. Who are our leaders here? How can we pray for them? How can we intercede for them? Could we just maybe, when you're doing Inhabit this week, um, you're having your time with the Lord, maybe just like Google one of them and pray for them. What if we did that? What if we started there? It sounds so small, but it's not. It's not small. We should be a people of prayer that would pray to the Lord on their behalf, as Jeremiah says. Because in their welfare, we will find our own. We'll find our own. And I don't want you to miss how Paul brings this all together in verse three of our text. He says, this is good. (laughs) This is good. That's what he says. And it's pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. That is a huge statement. Because do you want to please God? Do you want to know how to please God? Do you want to know how to worship him, bring him honor, bring him glory, bring him pleasure? This is how, and that's good. That's good to pray for them. When we intercede for them, when we pray, when we bring our supplications, our thanksgiving, when we pray for all people, church, it is worship. It is a way we can worship our God and be pleasing in his sight. It pleases God. He enjoys it. When we pray for all all people, it's our act of worship before our God, and we are in this reminded of the character of our God. And I love what it says here at at the very end, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So let me put a fine point on this, try to bring this all together. Our call is to pray for others, and, and especially those in authority. And as we do, it brings a little of that shalom in our communities, in our neighborhoods, that wholeness, that goodness, and that is good and pleasing to God. And in verse four, we're reminded, it, as we do this, proclaims Christ by modeling Christ so that ultimately more come to know Christ. Listen, we're not going to... <laughs> I'll put it like this. More are not going to come to know the knowledge of the truth if the church is too busy running for the hills. They're not going to know where to find us. Well, I guess they would know. They're just not going to go because weird people live in the hills. They're not going to come, right? (laughs) If you live in the hill country, I love you too. Um, um, It's it's not going to happen if all we do is retreat. At the same time, they're also not going to come to the truth the knowledge of the goodness of Jesus, if all the church is doing is storming out and pummeling everyone, like with this holy rage, pummeling them. Um, If all the church does is fight, are they gonna come to know Jesus? No, here's why, here's why. Because that's not what Jesus did. I wanna point this out to you, okay? Um, So we have, on this hand, we have those who run for the hills. I gotta tell you, Jesus didn't do that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus didn't head for the hills and he could if he had every right to leave us in our own filth. But he didn't. He stepped down in it. He put on flesh. He dwelt among us, stepped into human history so that sinful fallen people could be saved. He did not run. He stepped in. That's what Jesus did. So how could we run? On the other hand, Jesus also, hang with me here, didn't fight at least the way you think he would. Jesus didn't show up in order to bring down this wicked Roman government. 
Now, ultimately, he brought down sin. That's a bigger battle. But when he stepped in, his goal was not to pummel everyone who is politically different than him. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he said what I already read, love your enemies, what? Pray for them. And more than that, I gotta point out the simple fact, not so simple, the glorious fact that Jesus, as he steps in, put on human flesh, he actually gives himself for those people. And by those people, I mean us. He gives himself for, he gave himself into the hands of wicked men in order to save wicked men. In John 15, it's greater love as no one than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. That's exactly what Jesus was going to do. He didn't retreat for the hills or storm it. He stepped in and he gave himself. And then he looked at you and said, follow me. There is a third way, church. Your call is to be like Jesus, to step in, to give yourself. And when we do this together as a church, we, we are choosing a different path. We're proclaiming Christ by modeling Christ so that more would know Christ. That's our path forward. That's our path forward. And I want to end, just as we wrap this up, I want to end with, uh, with Paul's words again. Um, just the first part. And, and here's what I would do. I want to read this. And I, I want to just pray over us that we can actually put this into practice this week. As I said, easy to understand, harder to practice. I want to I pray that we can actually do what I'm about to say from Paul. All right? Here's what Paul says. First of all, then, a first of all, a first importance, church. Here's what he says. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. 